From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Challenges for Christian Colleges. Host Leif Anderson, NAE President, talks with Shirley Hoogstra, President of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, President of the NAE, here today with Shirley Hoogstra. Shirley has been the president of the CCCU, that's Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, since September 2014, after serving 15 years as vice president for student life at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She had returned to Calvin, her alma mater, after practicing law for more than a decade as a partner in a firm in Connecticut. But even while practicing law, she was involved at Calvin, participating in endowments and serving on the college's board of trustees and she now leads the nation's top association that advocates for Christian colleges. So it's really great to have you with us today, Shirley. Great to be with you, Leith. So let's start out with having you tell us a little bit about CCCU and, and you and, and what's your role with the organization. It's probably a dream job for me to be able to put my law degree and my higher education experience in one position. And that's because we do a number of things with the Council for Christian Colleges. We do advocacy work on the Hill or uh, assist our institutions in their statewide conversations for government relations. But also we try to empower and equip all of our institutions to be the best that they can be, whether that's scholarship or programming or networking, uh, significant conversations, we're a convening association, and we hold important uh, conferences throughout the year. And then on top of that, we, we run this uh, best semester program, which is nine semesters abroad in all parts of the world, from Uganda to Jordan to Oxford to Australia. And then even in the United States, we run a film studies program that thinks about faith and film, as well as contemporary music uh, in Nashville. So it's, a, it's an interesting job, and I work with great people. So tell us, who are your members? They're, they're all colleges and universities, and I think they're almost all in the United States, but you actually have some international members as well, right? We do. We have over 150 U.S. members, and we also have uh, institutions uh, around uh, in 20 different nations around the world. We have 35 different denominations represented. The the key to um, who are our associational institutions um, are distinguished really by four things. Uh, one, they consider them Christ-centered uh, institutions. They also integrate faith throughout the curriculum. There's no duality. So whether it's student life side, whether it's the uh, classroom side, it all honors Christ and integrates faith. We also believe in the discipling and the forming of the whole person. And then lastly, we have a global witness. We think uh, about how we are going to live out our personal vocations, but we always have sort of a global mindset in how we can be Christ in the world at large. So. Uh, those are the three distinguishing sort of factors for our institutions. So if you know, how many students all together in all your schools? We have over 460,000 students represented every year. We have 67,000 faculty and staff, over 3.5 million alumni, and over a billion dollars is given to the cause of Christian higher education every year. Amazing. So you've it's been involved amazing, in... Yeah. You've been involved in Christian higher education for a long time, and so you know a lot and a lot of experience. But I'm curious, 
as you've come into this uh, position, and what have you been surprised by about higher education? And you know, what, what do you see differently now than before you took this role? So I was a, I'm a graduate of a Christian institution, uh, one of the CCCU institutions, um, my husband, my children. So I knew that institution really well, and I knew a couple of others. But when you get to see 180 different kinds of institutions that all have a unique assignment, that's been one of the best parts of this job. So I'll go down to Texas or Arkansas or California or Boston area or the Midwest, and I see really it, it's it's like um, looking at a forest. You know, you look at the bottom of the forest and you say, wow, there are ferns and there's other kind of small plants and then there are big trees and then there are flowers. This variety that God is so interested in displaying as creator actually comes through in colleges too. So I go down to Texas and there's a state-of-the-art nursing program. It, they've got a replica of the ICU unit. They've got an amazing um, building, uh, pedagogy around studying and cohort building and then I'll go over to California and I'll see that there's an institution there that's got a faith and culture uh, center and they're doing that kind of work um, or I'll go uh, to the East Coast and there will be people who are about the arts uh, and their students are in Carnegie Hall and they're um, on the stage uh, with ballet and all over and I think wow every kind of assignment where Christ wants to be at the center. So that's been, that. I, I just love going, I love meeting the students, the faculty, uh, and the staff, and I love to see what God is doing on those campuses. With that kind of experience, and your travel around to all the different schools, you must see the top challenges and opportunities for Christian colleges probably better than anybody else. So how do you summarize those challenges and opportunities? Well, I'll, I'll name a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we all remember that 2008 was a financial downturn uh, for the world, particularly for the United States. And after 2008, I would say that nonprofit organizations and, and colleges and universities are in that in that sphere. They had to reassess how things were going to be affordable and accessible for students. So the number one challenge for our institutions are making sure that this exemplary kind of education, this whole person kind of formation education is affordable and sustainable. And then the other uh, large surprise I would say is how ignorant or even hostile some of our uh, larger governmental organizations are about faith-based things. So when we would go to government and we would talk about what it's like to educate people with a Christ-centered education with a sort of faith organizing kind of life, they would not be very knowledgeable about that. They'd have sort of an extreme idea about what it means to be a person of faith. So really explaining how important religion is in the life of an American, how how many people actually organize their lives around the belief that God is at the center, um, that we have a, a moral code, a moral compass that is influenced uh, by scripture. These are concepts that are becoming more and more foreign to uh, people who are actually running institutions that matter and for higher education the government matters a lot. We're highly regulated.
that's a big picture. Let's really focus down. So in 2014, uh, Gordon College in Massachusetts, just outside Boston, faced issues related to their commitment to marriage as a union of one man and one woman. And there were multiple articles in the Boston Globe and serious challenges that came from their neighboring communities, a question of whether other colleges would play sports with them, and even some concerns about accreditation. So, Charlie, should other Christian colleges be concerned that this could happen to them, or was that an isolated instance? What Gordon College represented was regulation that was getting into institutional autonomy and mission. And there is a growing creep, uh, a scope expansion, where government wants to be able to say, look, this is who you have to be. We are going to substitute our judgment for your mission. So when you have a, a, a mission that calls for an understanding of historic Christianity, in this particular case around marriage, the government was saying, we think we have a conflict, and we think we would like to have you bend to our will. And we're going to see that as government gives money to students to bring to Christian colleges, the government wants to continue to up the ante on where that money can go. Now, what we remind government, and successfully so, a number of people assisted the fine leadership at Gordon College who spearheaded the drive to help the accreditors remember, wait a minute, your own accreditation mission is that you have to recognize and honor the reason that colleges exist, whether it's Christian or secular. Likewise, we remind the government that it's a student choice issue. Students should be able to, really at least, they should be able to match their values and their beliefs with the way in which they want to get educated. It's been done for 200 years or longer, really since the founding of Harvard and Yale, uh, that, that religious belief mattered and was not in conflict. So we, we have this tension, we keep talking, the democracy is working, but we're really vigilant now. Let's switch coasts from Gordon College in Massachusetts to 2016 in California when a bill came up in the California legislature that would have had a big impact on faith-based colleges, uh, the, the loss of Cal grants. So it was withdrawn, but after a lot of religious groups and leaders raised concerns and wrote op-eds. So talk about that situation. And is that something that you would expect would be reintroduced now or in the future in California and perhaps even in other states? This was a great trial run in California, Lee. We, as Christian colleges and as our association and the California, there are over 30 faith-based institutions in California, 19 of them are CCCU members. What we realized was that the schools were not talking closely enough to government, in this particular case, Sacramento. So you know how um, when things are going along well, you think, oh, uh, they will continue to go that way. But Sacramento had gotten information about our campuses that was inaccurate. And they had gotten information from groups that were really looking to shut down the student choice in California. So the California presidents organized, uh, their association uh, organized, and they started on an intensive campaign to 
form allies and partners who would care about faith-based education to students, particularly uh, underrepresented uh, students, minority students, who would have been in really inordinately impacted by the change of the bill. But they also got into the offices of the legislators and said, look, we want you to meet us. We want you to know our hearts. We want you to visit our campuses. We want to be our best, but we want you to know that we're not at odds with being the best or for students, and we think you have the wrong information. Recently, one of the uh, bill originators went to one of our Christian college campuses and spent the day there. And he came away saying, I had no idea that this was the kind of community, the kind of joy, the kind of education that was happening on your campus. I feel completely differently about uh, the necessity of that bill. And uh, I think there's going to be, least a pause in California for just a bit uh, before something is reintroduced, if at all. But I also think that this is the wake-up call for Christians, and particularly Christian colleges, and citizens um, who are Christians. You can't just care about your issue. So you have to care about Christian higher education, but you have to also care about affordability. You have to care about poverty. You have to care about um, uh, food stamps. You have to care about employment. You have to care about refugees and immigration and um, helping students if they are undocumented, uh, finding a way forward. And that's what the legislators said. They sort of said, hey, look, you're here now because this affects your bottom line, but can you be here when there are other issues that matter to us that might also or should matter to you? Those are good questions. The threat was real, and the outcome so far is really promising. So what's really at stake in these issues? And you know, on a range here, are we talking about Christian colleges just sort of needing to make some minor adjustments and uh, connect well with government? Or are we talking potentially about actually shutting down Christian schools? Uh, Lee, there is a variety of responses that colleges will have as they get continued pressure or coercion from government. And this is where, again, everyone has a particular God-given assignment and our boards are wise and prayerful and knowledgeable. And if anything has been a, a plus or a silver lining to any kind of pressure or uh, uh, really um, the kind of opposition that was so new and surprising is that I think our schools are better on their game. They are saying, hey, wait a minute, we actually need to get our story out. We need to look at our policies to make sure that our policies don't read or sound like they're uh, inaccurate. Um, and I think our schools are going to stay Christ, I know they are, they're going to stay Christ-centered. They're going to stay based on the authority of Scripture. Um, they are going to never give up. Uh, they are going to... Uh, form all of the allies and partnerships that they need so that when you are operating in the sphere of government, you have the, the most uh, strategic uh, opportunities to play as possible. So I, I think it's way too early to say um, if schools will close. Uh, but I think that we are on alert. We are on the... the um, 
track of finding people who care about educational choice, uh, people that are both Christians and non-Christians, uh, different faith perspectives. You know, we've learned a lot from the Mormon community, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, because they have never been at ease in culture. So they have learned to uh, be strategic about how they interact around the missions that matter to them. So um, this is not a small problem. Uh, this is a game-changing problem. Uh, but it's the kind of opportunity, and let me end with this, uh, this question, Lise. When Paul got to go before Caesar and share the gospel, he was in chains, but the benefit of being able to share the gospel was at the invitation of Caesar. Christian colleges are being invited into the halls of power and government to share the gospel because that's what our students are that's what our schools are doing for students teaching them educating them deepening their faith in the gospel promises and hope so I see actually I see it as an opportunity God is calling us into conversations we've never had before and at least we completely trust him for the future Shirley we've partnered together NAE and CCCU so we've brought together in meetings across the country dialogue conversations that have been made up uh, many hundreds but mostly of Christian University presidents but also uh, some business leaders nonprofit leaders uh, pastors and others to dialogue about talk about the, the kind of legal challenges so you've been at all of these meetings you've heard all of these conversations uh, what have you learned from these gatherings well first of all least I'm I've learned uh, what a leader the National Association of, um, of Evangelicals is in this thought leadership arena. So uh, your own organization has exhibited courage and creativity and the coalition building that is necessary to keep religious entities firmly rooted in the public square. So that's the first thing I've learned. Um, the second thing is that our leaders, whether they're in churches, or in Christian colleges have a faith-led creativity. So um, we get to operate leaders in, in Christian nonprofits, churches, higher education, gospel rescue missions, um, adoption agencies. We get to operate out of hope and courage and not fear. This actually gives us a tremendous advantage. And so what I've learned uh, through these conversations are that leaders want their organizations to be strong, faith-centered, and prepared for a future, a future where they're contributing. So we are, as you know, we are thinking about strategies that maybe we didn't need five, ten years ago, strategies that um, actually uh, look for the well-being of a nation to say, what would a confident pluralism look like today. You know, John Inezzo's written that great book about confident pluralism because he says, you know what? America looks different today than it did 50 years ago. And so what is God calling America to be when it is a welcoming and um, a new home for so many around the world? You know, so many different faiths. It used to be uh, a particular set, but now that that faith spectrum has actually expanded. What does it look like for us to be 
practicing a, a dynamic democracy where we have to not only care about the Christian faith, but the Muslim faith, the Hindu faith expression. What do we, how do we care about people who think differently on current cultural issues uh, like gay and lesbian rights or uh, uh, the, the way in which a baker or florist can operate their conscience? Uh, how do we care about all of those issues? So it's an exciting time. It's a challenging time. Peter Drucker once said that among the most difficult jobs in the United States, being the president of a university is one of the top three. And he explained that that's because there are multiple constituencies. So there are donors and students and faculty and alumni. There's the community and accreditation. There's finance. There's, there's so many different constituencies for a college or university. You probably know Christian college presidents more and better than anybody and must give them advice. So what advice do you give to these college and university presidents in negotiating all of these competing interests in their constituencies? Well, first of all, they have to really be clear about the mission of their institution. They have to know that assignment. And then they have to choose to say, I won't look over my shoulder at what other places are doing, I'm going to be excellent in the assignment that I have. I think they, I would say, don't take things personally. That there are going to be people who agree with you and, and don't agree with you. Uh, most presidents have learned to be both gracious and have a thick skin. And I think that's one of the, the best qualities that I have found when I deal with the 180 presidents in my association to a person. They care about their students, their faculty, their alumni, the donors, their constituents. They are self-sacrificing and they are unflaggingly gracious towards others. It's a, it, they, are, they are welcoming and they are thinkers who really feel the large assignment that keeps expanding, Lisa. you know, 10 years ago, they didn't have to be government advocates. Uh, 10 years ago, they didn't have to have quite the fundraising expertise. You know, 10 years ago, they didn't have to have this base of um, business uh, relationships and medical relationships and legal relationships. Uh, the job is more and more complex. And, and people on social media today, you know, they can be quite quick to critique and criticize. And um, I would say that our presidents and the advice that I uh, give to them and, and see that they are incorporating is that, look, we serve an audience of one. And that is, does God say, well done, good and faithful servant, while they shepherd and hold this wonderful fiduciary duty towards their institution. I am impressed with uh, what presidents do. I, I like it when you say that they need to learn to not take things personally and to have thick skin. And if you're really successful at doing this, I think you need to write a book about this because there are a lot of <laughs> pastors and politicians and other professionals who also need to learn to not take things personally and have a thick skin. You, you are such an amazing advocate for Christian higher education, and I'll admit we've talked a lot about the challenges that are being faced, and they are significant, but there's a lot of good, and 
you have a voice that uh, uniquely explains the tremendous value and good, the things that excite you about Christian colleges. So let's let's hear about them. Oh, Leith, just last week, I get to hear about the graduates of a Michigan prison um, who are now getting a BA degree from one of our institutions in Michigan. Prison education is a Matthew 25 extension. Go and not only visit those in prison, but help them get new lives. I can't tell you how many of our 154 institutions actually have some sort of relationship with helping prisoners change their lives through education. You know what the faculty members say? They're like the best students because they have all this time to read. Uh, they come in completely prepared for the discussion. And these are men and women who have made mistakes, who are maturing in prison, who want to have a, either a more rich life if they have to stay in prison longer, but actually contribute back. So that's that's really number one. The the and we're going to form um, a uh, we're going to convene a group of of educators who are working in prisons. The next thing is that um, Christian colleges are looking to form programs in cybersecurity. So I'm, I'm at a meeting in Washington D.C. and people are saying, really, next to the nuclear threat, the United States is unprepared for cyber warfare. And they had all sorts of examples about, and, and we've read, I mean, they're, they're constantly in the news about how countries are trying to infiltrate the uh, cyber uh, networks in other countries, in particular the United States. Christian college graduates are particularly and uniquely qualified, high moral standards, self-sacrificial, good judgment. Um, they are um, honest, trustworthy people. These are the kind of people that could be trained up to, and if you can believe this, a million and a half jobs every year go unfilled in the rapidly expanding field of cybersecurity. So that's another interesting thing that our um, colleges and universities are exploring. And of course, this uh, the field of nursing, the field of um, arts, uh, these are constantly expanding. In fact, one of our um, Lee University grads was the winner of that uh, uh, competition program, The Voice. Uh, so it's uh, the stories that come out in our last one is that we've been partnering with bone marrow transplant and a bone marrow transplant organization. We have almost 10,000 students who have signed up to be a donor for bone marrow transplants. Um, our goal is even higher than that, uh, but uh, as you can imagine, college student DNA is uh, still some of the best in the world because it's young and uh, undiseased and um, ready to give a new and second chance to somebody else. So anyway, those are the kinds of things we do on our campuses. Um, it's about service. It's about um, uh, you really being God's uh, voice and hands in the world today. So, so many great things are happening. Our guest on today's conversation has been Shirley Hoogster, President of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Shirley. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. 
To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.